Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Okay, guys, I'm excited. We're going to continue with this series that I'm doing on breaking down the fitness phases. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Um, If you have followed health or fitness people on Instagram, you more than likely have heard things like words like builds, bulks, cuts, reverse dieting, maintenance, body recall. There's all these words, right? And it's like, well, that's cool. That's really cool. Okay. So what does that mean? Right? Some people know, some people have a general idea and then other people are like, I'm new into this. I just thought I wanted to be healthy and lose a few pounds. What do all of these words even mean? And some people think that they know, but they're just kind of, they're missing some gaps in their knowledge or they're do, they're making it way, 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 way too complicated, which is another huge one too, that I often see. And I think that that's due to, there's just so much information, right? There is so, 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 so much information. So it's really hard to kind of weed through all the information and, and really find out like what's, what is truth? What actually applies to my goals? What doesn't? Um, and I think that it's not that the information out there is quote unquote wrong, although some of it may be so. Um, but I think a lot of times it comes down to, does it matter? Does that piece of information matter to you? Right? That's, that's huge. And a lot of times with clients, I'm like, look, I love studying the nitty gritty. I love reading the research and studying anatomy and um, biomechanics and cellular biology and nutrition. I love studying all of this. But there is so much information out there that actually doesn't even apply to my clients. It's like, oh, that's a cool piece of information, but that doesn't really apply to you. And so how do you know who it applies to and doesn't apply to, right? How do you filter through that information And that is where the Lifting Lindsay podcast comes in. Hopefully I can help you filter through a lot of that information. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. When I say like, that doesn't even really apply to you. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about protein and protein consumption throughout the day. And should it be an even distribution of protein or should it be a skewed protein consumption? What does that even mean? Some of you are probably like, well, what in the world? Um, Okay, so even distribution would be every time you eat, like two to three hours, two to four hours, you have 25 to, you know, they say 50, or it can be 25 to 30 grams for women, I find works best. But that's like an even distribution throughout the day. 25 to 35 grams every time you sit down and eat. Um, Versus a skewed, skewed would be like, well, maybe in the morning you have eight grams of protein for breakfast. And a few hours later, you have a protein bar that has like 12. And a few hours later, maybe you have like one that has 30. And then a few hours later, maybe you have another eight because you have like a cheese stick or or whatnot, right? And so at the end of the day, it's going to look very skewed. And what's interesting is, man, with the advent of social media, everything changed, right? Like I don't even think, no, none of my neighbors would even know, I guess, I try to keep my fitness life as kind of like a secret life, to be honest. I don't go around just talking about my fitness or even my business. But so I don't even think my neighbors would know that Lindsay had a six pack unless they got on social media and saw like, what in the world? Like I even actually had somebody come up to me one time at church of all places. And she goes, what the Lindsay? Are you kidding me? Is this what you look like under there? And I just burst out laughing and I was like, oh no, you found my secret life, right? Okay, nobody would even know who had a six pack, who didn't, if it wasn't for social media. And then everybody who has a six pack, apparently they know exactly what they're talking about and they get on there and they're like, well, you have to have an even distribution if you want to, you know, lose fat or if you want to have body recomp or or whatever it may be. There are these blanket statements. And so little miss sally homemaker walks away after reading this protein consumption instagram post saying oh well i guess i have to eat 25 30 grams of protein every single time man that's that's i don't i don't know if i can do that and and it's just maybe sally has an all-or-nothing mindset where things like that just like overwhelm her and, and, and she sits down and she eats 15 grams one day and is like, oh, I ruined my whole day, right? It's all ruined. 
And so this is where I think this is really important to know the research. So should Sally have an even distribution or can she have a skewed distribution? So when you read the research, and, the, and there is good research in, in, in rats and humans alike, showing that there is a slight of advantage to growing muscle if it's an even distribution. So if Sally comes to me and says, you know, Lindsay, I really want to, I want to look better in my clothes. I want to drop 15 pounds, but I also really like, um, you know, I want to feel strong in the gym. You know what I'm not going to worry about with Sally? I'm not going to worry about making sure that she has complete even distribution throughout the day. I'm not going to worry about that just yet, okay? Sally is going to be able to see the fat loss she wants. She's going to feel strong in the gym. She's going to see everything she listed listed to me that she wants to see. Sally is going to be able to see that without having to concern herself and worry herself that she's not getting eight more grams of protein in that breakfast meal. Like what if she likes her breakfast and it's only like 12 grams of protein? I'm not going to worry about it too much with Sally, okay? But what if Becky, Becky comes to me and is like, Linz, I really want to build my delts and I really want to build my glutes. I've had a pancake, but my whole life I really want to build my glutes and I want to shave off a little bit of this body fat. And after talking about things, we decide that we're going to do kind of a body recomp. We're going to keep calories maybe uh, around maintenance, maybe slightly under. And with Becky, I'm going to say, Becky, since you want that muscle so much, we're going to make sure that we have a little bit more of even distribution of protein throughout the day because that is her goal. That's what she wants. That's what she came to me for. So This is why I think it's really important to understand research and be able to read it and say, okay, there was a slight increase in muscle with those that, a slight advantage with those that were doing an even distribution. And so if somebody comes to me and wants body recomp and we really want to ensure that, you know, we're making sure that we have the best chance possible of putting on a little bit more muscle and she's not going to be overwhelmed by it, then Becky's approach is going to be, hey, let's make sure we have even distribution. So do you see the difference here? The difference is really being able to take in the information and wisely see who the information applies to. So I feel like that's what's missing in this fitness industry. And instead, we just see blanket statements everywhere. And then we have a bunch of people walking around saying, well, I don't know what to do because everybody says I have to do all of these things in order to even see progress. But you know what? If if you are Sally and you are focusing on the basics of fat loss, you just want to drop 15 pounds, drop 20 pounds, you want to feel better. There are so many things that we're going to get a bunch of, you know, these six pack Instagram famous, whatever people on there saying, well, you have to do this. No, 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 you don't, you don't have to Sally, because remember like who, remember who you are, (laughs) No, remember what your goals are and, and these extremes that they're kind of pointing out, you actually don't even need to worry about that yet. Okay, let's just worry about daily getting enough protein. That's probably the biggest concern because you're probably going from no protein to now we're finally eating protein. So you're going to see the progress that you want to. And so that's what I feel like, that's what I'm hoping that this, that these episodes on, that this series on different, you know, the fat loss phases and the reverse dieting is, is let me kind of go through all of that information and pull out what's actually applicable and what you should actually think about. And I'm going to simplify it down because it is in many ways, nutrition, um, fat loss is much more simple than what people like to make it. I'm kind of excited to talk about the science of fat loss today because people are always blown away when they find out how ridiculously simple it is. It's like they don't believe it. It's like, no, it can't be that simple because it's hard. You're right. The science of it is ridiculously simple. You get into an energy deficit, you drop body fat, end of story. Like that is it. It's like, Lindsay, no, how can that be it 
if there's a million different dieting approaches and they're all claiming to be the most amazing, to be the magic pill, to have some fairy that comes down and and sprinkles you with ketosis, <laughs> puts you in, in ketosis and then magically insulin now doesn't affect your life and nothing gets shuttled into body fat and you lose everything. Like you lose all of your body fat, right? <laughs> like, no, Lindsay, can't be that simple. If it were that simple, then there wouldn't be all of these claims around all of these dieting approaches, right? Wrong. <laughs> it is that simple and there are those claims. But let's talk about this for a minute. We're going to break this down for a second. I started this series saying, okay, we're going to break down each one of these fitness phases. We're going to break down building phases. We're going to break down fat loss phases. We're going to break down reverse dieting, what we know about it, what we don't know about it, because I think that that's really important. So I started with maintenance a few weeks ago, and I did that for a reason, because maintenance is the most overlooked phase and it's the most essential one because you will be spending majority of your time at maintenance. And also, if, if you don't know where your maintenance is, it's kind of hard to know like what a calorie surplus, therefore a build is. And it's kind of hard to know what a calorie deficit, therefore a fat loss phase or a cut is. If you don't even have any concept whatsoever of what your maintenance is. So I really wanted to start it out by breaking down what maintenance is. And I did talk about energy balance. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, I'll break it down in just a tiny, tiny bit right now. But I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that on maintenance because I do talk about a lot more in depth about what goes into like the energy out equation and the energy in equation. But we'll be very brief on that today. Now, before we dive into it, I did want to say this very quickly. June 6th, in my training app, the new muscle and strength training program begins. And it is training four times a week. It's an upper body, lower body split. We last training phase, we were in intensity. We were doing like two to three minute rest periods. Now we're moving more into tension work. So rest periods are going down a little bit but it's still an amazing program to see gains in muscle and strength. So if you want to join that program, it starts on Monday. Now, this past Monday on the 30th, I did have my groups, the fat loss group, and train with me. That's my personal programming. I Those new training blocks did start on the 30th. But that was a holiday. And so I got a ton of people messaging me in, messaging me in, messaging into me, I should say, <clears throat> messaging into me saying, I couldn't start on the 30th. Can I start on the 6th? And yes, you can. Because even though this is the first week, the first week of it is done and it is a four week training block, um, I don't have any new written progressions in next week. So usually the first week of training is where you're like establishing, you're getting used to the, the routine, the, the tempo, the rest periods, the exercises. And then the following week, I don't put in any new written progressions because I just want you to get in and, and perform all of the exercises better, increase weights if you can. Now weeks three and four are typically where you see written progressions. And for those of you who don't know what that means, um, you know, when, when we're looking at progressive overload, when we're looking at really increasing strength or progressing in, uh, lifting or hypertrophy programs, we want to pretty much it, the most simplest way possible to explain this is we want to do a little bit more today than we did last week when we were doing the training program. But here's the thing. We can't always just linearly increase weights from week to week. It doesn't work that way. Um, especially when you are intermediate and advanced. So what happens is what do you do to progress if you can't increase the weights? So within my training programs, I do have written progressions, ways that we can progress by either pausing in difficult places in lifts or changing rest periods or adding in one more rep or one more set. 
And that way you can continue to progress. You can continue to do a little bit more this week than you did last week. So those written progressions aren't going to start until week three and then week four. And so if you would like to start the fat loss program or my program, which is the train with me group, you can start those on the sixth as well this coming Monday. My train with me program, I am focusing a little bit more on, um, obviously I lift all body parts, but I'm focusing a little bit more on glutes, hamstrings and delts. So if you would like to see a little bit more progression there, then you can join the train with me. Otherwise do the muscle and strength. If you are looking for like a full body builder. Okay. That out of the way, let's talk about the science of fat loss and how I keep saying it's pretty simple, right? So if you are looking at a scale, and I explained all this in the, in the maintenance, but I'm going to just give you a little tiny recap. So if you're looking at a, 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 a scale, like a weighted scale, where you put things on both sides and you try to even it out, right? So let's say one side, the right side is going to be energy out. Okay, that is going to include your BMR, your exercise, your non-exercise activity, uh, thermic effect of food, that all of that is going to be on the right side. Everything your body uses energy for, whether it's just to survive if you're laying there or your everyday movement, exercise, digestion of food, etc. Okay, so that's energy out. And then on the left-hand side, we have energy in or calories in or the food that you consume coming in. Now, if the scale is balanced, okay, that's maintenance. You will maintain that weight if the scale of energy out is the same as energy coming in. That's maintenance. In order to lose weight, this is what I mean by it's ridiculously simple, actually. In order to drop body fat, then you have to have more energy going out than coming in. So that would be an energy deficit. That's going to tip the scale, right? So that's going to tip it over into an energy deficit. So why then is fat loss so hard? If all we have to do is tip the scale for a calorie deficit or an energy deficit, then why is it so hard? And this is actually why it's so hard is because there is so much subconsciously going on. Things we are totally unaware of that the body tries to alter because the body wants equilibrium. It wants the scale to be balanced. Guess what? Your body doesn't care about your fat loss goals or your aesthetic goals. It doesn't care about that. And so when you start manipulating one side of the scale, the body is actually going to go to the other side and make manipulations happen so that it equals out again and you are back at maintenance. So think about this. This is a question that I get all the time. Let's just say Sally. Her name is Sally. I go to the gym six days a week for an hour, hour and a half, and I work so hard, and I eat quote unquote healthy, and at first I saw a little fat loss, and now I've plateaued, and no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on. This is why fat loss becomes difficult. So let's say Sally does. She joins, she goes from not lifting to, do you know what? I want to feel healthy. I want to feel strong. I want to take care of my body. And it would be nice if I lost some weight too. Yippee. That's my goal. So she gets a gym pass. She starts going to the gym. She's really excited. She's feeling energetic, feeling better. And she does start noticing little changes in her body over the first like few weeks or month. And she's eating quote unquote healthier-ish foods, you know, avocados and green stuff and protein and all of that good stuff. And so what happens is she starts doing more energy out, right? She starts experiencing more energy out. And so the scale begins to tip and she gets into an energy deficit and she starts seeing the benefits and, and the rewards of that energy deficit. 
but little does Sally know that the body is going to respond like this. It's going to notice that there has, there's an imbalance. And so what it's going to do is, okay, she's, she's now working out. She's lifting or she's running a lot. And so she needs more energy to do these things. So the body goes to the other side of that scale and starts speaking towards the energy in. It knows it needs to increase the energy in. And so it's going to start sending more hunger cues. So Sally doesn't realize, but she's getting more hunger cues. She has no idea that this is going on, really. I mean, she may vaguely kind of experience it, but she's quote unquote eating healthy. So she just thinks that that's, that's the, all you have to do is eat healthy, you know, choose avocados and, and nuts and whole foods. And she doesn't realize that you can still eat at maintenance eating that way. And so she's kind of baffled what's going on. Well, she's getting more hunger cues, so she's eating more. And so all of a sudden the scale balances back out and we have equilibrium. And she, that's where she gets frustrated because she's hitting this plateau and she's wondering why nothing's changing. Okay. Does that sound familiar? Do you know how many times I've gotten that question? I work out so hard. I eat healthy. I'm not losing weight. Nothing seems to work for me. Okay. So there does need to be this cognitive oversight over what's going on here. We do need to figure out a way to make sure that we get in that energy deficit and then stay there. Because even though, even if we focus on now, okay, I'm going to now focus on, on energy in, and I'm going to try to really focus on that, make sure I'm in a calorie deficit. The body is still going to do the same thing, except for this time, it's going to move over to the energy out and it's going to try to manipulate that side and see if it can bring it back to balance. So for example, Sally really decides, okay, I'm going to get into a a moderate calorie deficit, maybe 350, which honestly, when you're starting out with a calorie deficit, that's a good place to start. Make sure you can, you know, you get in a modest calorie deficit, you start tracking your foods a little bit better. That's a great place to start. You don't have to start at negative a thousand, which I feel like is what everybody wants to do. I'm going to start with a 1200 calorie deficit. That's my calories, 1200. It's like they think there's something magical about this 1200 thing. So anyways, there's not there. And there's so many other approaches that we can take. We will be discussing more of those approaches in part two of this. So the next episode that comes out, the next podcast episode, we will be talking a little bit more about this. But for today, I just kind of wanted to explain like, how it's really simple and yet the body is doing these the, this manipulation kind of behind the scenes and we don't even realize what's happening. So Sally decides to really start focusing on her, her nutrition and so she starts honing in on that. So now the body goes to the other side of the scale on the energy out and it knows it's, okay, how do I, how do I balance things out again? Well, one, it actually becomes more efficient. I feel like this one isn't really talked about a lot, but, but it's true. The body becomes more efficient with the energy that it has doing the same types of exercises and the same type of movements and everything that it, that it's been doing. It becomes more efficient at doing it, meaning it takes less gas to be able to do the same things. It takes less gas, gas to go the same distance. So it becomes actually more efficient. So that's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is it starts to slow down the body. So little do you know, because you haven't, you're, you're listening to this and you haven't been watching me, but Lindsay is a hands talker. <laughs> and I don't know if there's been any point of this episode where my hands have actually stopped moving. I have been passionately explaining this balance literally holding my hands up, pretending like, I know you guys can't see me, but I'm a hands talker. It's who I am. Yesterday, no joke. My husband said to me, do you know how I know when you're in a gallery deficit? <laughs> like you're treading on thin ice, Alex. How do you know? Like, be careful. Like, don't tell me I get ornery. Don't tell me I'm like hangry. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, huh, I'm curious. Like, how? 
He goes, you stop talking with your hands. It is so true. So our body starts to slow down. If you're a hands talker, it's going to stop talking like really with your hands. I also, when I sit at my desk, my legs just bounce. I'm a bouncer and they stop doing that. So I'm not as expressive when I talk to people. I want to, I find that I want to sit more and watch TV, sit, read, do these things where normally I'm a very active person. And this is just one of the things that the body's going to try to do to kind of help pull things back and get closer to maintenance. So we don't even really realize that this stuff is happening. But, you know, as soon as we start manipulating one side of the scale, the body's going to try to work on the other side. And when we're really pushing both sides of the scale, then the body's going to work on both of them. And so that makes it kind of hard to lose weight when you have the body kind of trying to sabotage your goals, right? Because once again, it doesn't, it doesn't realize what you're trying to do. So that is where it becomes difficult. And this is where it's really important that we have some cognitive oversight on both sides. Okay. So this is why, you know, when you want to lose weight, we've got to be more mindful of the energy out. So we get, we get a training program of lifting weights four times a week. We start focusing on like, okay, what other movements can I do? Is that enough movement four times a week? And maybe making sure that we are staying active and getting at least 8,000 steps. That's usually where I tell people to start. You get that down and then you can kind of add on like cardio later, but just kind of get these basics down first and make sure that you can fit that into your lifestyle at first, because not everybody can fit, you know, like an hour of, of weightlifting plus an hour of cardio and you can't sustain that type of thing for, you know, 12 weeks. Most people can't. And so I just say, you know, start out with the basics on that energy out. Make sure that you have a training program where you're lifting four times a week and that you're getting that 8,000 steps just to really make sure that your activity levels are staying up and you're moving when the body really wants to make you kind of just sit there, right? Now, another thing too is a lot of people will say, well, I don't need to lift weights because I don't care to, you know, be a, a bikini competitor or I don't care about everybody seems to want to put muscle on their delts or their glutes or whatever. And I don't care about that. And you know what? Everybody has their own goals and that's, that's totally okay. But the thing that you don't realize is that you actually do care about muscle. You do. And let me tell you why, because you like food, right? Are you like me? Do you like food? I like food. So when we maintain muscle and even build some muscle, then we can maintain our metabolic health and when we're reversing, we can actually eat a little bit more too. Not excessive amounts, but we do want to maintain that health. And then also this is really going to help you as you age too, to make sure that you're just staying young and active and strong and healthy. Okay. So you don't have to be obsessed about, you know, your biceps or your triceps, your delts or glutes, whatever it may be. You don't have to, but you do really want to preserve and work on strength just for overall quality of life as you age. It is, it really is the fountain of youth. And so that is something that you do want to prioritize is actually the lifting weights over the cardio. If the main goal is um, <clears throat> just a healthy life. And for most people, I, I think for everybody that should be, right? So I'm not saying cardio is bad, never do it. Like I'm not in that camp. I think that there's a time and place for everything. I think there's always a time for uh, utilizing weights because of what it gives you. And then depending on your goals and what you enjoy, then you can add in cardio or, you know, it's really funny because most really fit individuals who kind of are, are healthy in mind and body and have this aesthetic fit look. A lot of times people are like, oh, you must do so much cardio. And they usually are weightlifters and they enjoy their walks. Like it's weightlifting and walking. Like those two combined, they are just like powerful. And, and yes, 
walking can be cardio, you know, depending on how you're doing it, most definitely. So I really love my walks. In the morning, I wake up and I love going on, beginning my day with a walk. I find it very therapeutic for my mind and my soul. So anyways, that's energy out. Let's go back to energy in. So this is something that we really have to have a lot of cognitive oversight with because of hunger cues being sent to the body we will just naturally increase our calories. We don't even realize that we're doing it, but we do it through BLTs as one way, bites, licks, tastes, right? Um, Not really tracking like what's coming in and just kind of guessing. Not very many people can intuitively or mindfully, whatever word choice you want to use, not many people can actually sit in an appropriate healthy amount of hunger with that method of just kind of guessing where they're sitting. So I'm not saying that people can't, but I'm just saying that it takes a skill level that 99.9% of people don't have. (laughs) That is a scientific fact that you just kidding. That's not a scientific percentage. That's just a, from what Lindsay has seen in her lifetime percentage. (laughs) So now let's, let's dive into Well, if this is so easy, and if we just need an energy deficit, then why are there so many different types of dieting methods? And why do they all say that they're like the one right diet religion? (laughs) They'll give you more quote unquote benefits, etc. Like if that's not the case, then then why why do they say that? So I think there's a few things that are really important to understand. Keto intermittent fasting, high carb, low carb, whole foods, whatever. Every single one of them work by getting you into a calorie deficit. Not one of them creates fat loss at maintenance. And I think that in and of itself kind of speaks for itself. Every single one of them needs the the energy deficit in order to work okay so there's nothing inherently special about keto or intermittent fasting to make it work outside the the bounds of it it still needs an energy deficit it still has to push you into a calorie deficit I think this is really important to understand. I'm actually not anti any of these these other methods. I think that it that there are two things that I really like and I think that are really important when choosing a diet method. Because the truth is, just choose a diet method that sucks the least. Okay? Because dieting sucks. It is not so it's not fun. Like I don't think it's fun. I don't know. I mean, I think it's fun to drop body fat and kind of see the the muscle that I've been working really hard come out. That's fun. But the actual like being hungry, tracking my macros, tracking like calories that go into my mouth, like I don't necessarily think that that's fun. But I also think that it is very important that we don't hyper focus on how hard it is because that uh, there's some really fascinating books out there that talk about this that that when we hyper-focus on how hard a task is, the task itself actually becomes substantially more difficult in our brain. The task itself doesn't change, but how we think about the task makes it either substantially difficult or makes it, um, you know, where there's there's tension, there may be a diff- little difficulty, but it's not overwhelming. And a lot of times I will work with women who this is already overwhelming before they've stepped into it because of how they are thinking about it. So the task itself is not what's what's hard. The tracking macros and learning or tracking calories and protein and learning a new method isn't actually what's stopping them. It's the way that they're viewing the task and they're making it so huge and so heavy and so hard. And with those clients, I often see far more tension and difficulty getting the ball rolling versus other clients who they decide that they're going to look at it as kind of this fun adventure. 
and this fun challenge and puzzle that they're going to figure out. And they choose to view it in that way versus this, oh, it's overwhelming. I'm like, well, you literally like haven't even tracked one calorie yet. Like, <laughs> but yet you, it's like just thinking about how difficult it is. It's so huge in your mind, right? So I see that often, but getting into a calorie deficit is hard. And so a lot of times people will choose dieting methods that may make it a little bit more approachable and easier for them. So thinking in your mind, well, if I just cut out carbs, that may make it easier for some people because, well, that immediately gets rid of all of this thought that they have to put into all of these other things. And um, they immediately can't have all of these foods. And so most of them just lose weight because immediately they can't have, they cut off an entire food group. So they can't have all those things that, that actually kind of got them into the place that they're at in, right now. They now lo no longer can sit down and have their ice cream every night or their cereal every night or their Oreos because they've cut it all out, right? So for a lot of people, this is a very simple approach. And I'm not anti-keto. Um, I've coached people through keto before because that was their preference. The one thing that I think oftentimes keto and intermittent fasting and low carb and those approaches, the, the portion that I don't feel like they do a good job fulfilling is the fact that we live in a food culture where carbs exist, where eating at different hours for work or, or whatever or lifestyle exists. And so it doesn't take into account that we can actually choose a different method that allows somebody to receive the education around food so they can thrive in the environment, in the food environment that they live in within their culture. Because where I'm at in the United States, like we have a culture where carbs are going to be at every family function. When I go to a restaurant, there's going to be carbs. There's just, there's this culture where they exist. So if I can help educate somebody on how to be mindful about the use of carbs instead of like demonizing them, I find that long term that is actually going to work in their favor and help them maintain the fat loss. You see, losing 10, 15 pounds with extreme diet choices is actually relatively easy. So cut out sugar and yeah, you, you now have like hardly any options. You probably will lose weight, cut out uh, keto or cut out um, carbs. And yeah, you, you're going to, you don't have much to choose from, but what happens when you decide to kind of re-enter the world of the living where <laughs> we eat carbs, like what's going to happen, right? So, so usually that's what people mean by, well, but it's not really a lifestyle approach. And so we don't want to just have people lose 15 pounds and then a year later have to lose the 15 pounds again. And then a year later have to use the 15 pounds again. And, you know, if we can help educate somebody on foods and how to use carbs and fats and proteins appropriately so that when the diet's over and we go back up to maintenance and we learn how it feels to sit at maintenance and we learn how to use all of, you know, 80% whole foods, 20% fun foods in a manner that helps us maintain a healthy and balanced lifestyle where we're still sitting down with the family and enjoying a meal. And then afterwards you're having your swig cookie with your kids instead of being like, Oh no, that's bad. That's wrong. I can't do that. Right. So I feel like that can also help when done right. It can help our children not fear certain foods either and think that there are bad foods and good foods and somehow foods are like sinful. Like when people, you know, peg those words with them. Um, and if you eat this food, it's a bad food. So you should feel bad after or during, you know, eating it. It's like, no, it's, it's a food and it shouldn't make you feel any shame or guilt. Actually, 
And if it does, that's a huge red flag that you don't have a very healthy relationship with food. And we've got to solve that. So let's solve it. And it's going to take work and it's going to take some time and it's going to take learning new thought patterns around food, but, but we can do it, right? And it can happen through not an extreme choice of diet, but more of one that embraces and just empowers you to be able to thrive in that food culture where these things just exist, right? And we can use them wisely. We don't have to be slaves to them in our, in our food desires. We can learn to use them wisely and enjoy them appropriately. And so I always say, you know, a really good diet approach will do two things. One, if the goal is fat loss, it will be enough to push you in and help you uh, maintain that oversight and know that you're in a calorie deficit. And two, it will help teach you. And sometimes this is where I think macros go wrong is that oftentimes people uh, use them as a crutch once they've hit their goal and they don't realize that macros um, and calories and protein done right should empower you and help educate you on what maintenance feels like. Please listen to the maintenance episode. It covers that. Um, and, and then you should really be able to learn mindful or quote unquote intuitive eating, but mindful eating and not fear things uh, such as food. So anyways, with that tangent being over, I just really, really, really want to reiterate a few things. One, the science be behind what causes fat loss is actually very simple. It's an energy deficit, but it's not simple in application because it's hard to get in and maintain the calorie deficit. And that's typically why people have to choose a diet approach. The diet helps them get into a calorie deficit and stay in a calorie deficit. And my favorite choice is going to be uh, protein and, and calories. So tracking protein and calories to ensure that you're getting adequate enough protein, you're recovering really well, we're maintaining muscle mass through the cut. And along with protein, gives us enzymes for other cellular processes that are essential in the body as well. So we really want to make sure we have enough protein. And then calories, making sure that our calories push us into a cut. And sometimes people do macros as well. Episode two on fat loss, we will talk about the differences and how to figure out, and that's going to be the application, how to figure all that out. Two... It doesn't matter what diet you choose. There's nothing magical about keto. There's nothing magical about intermittent fasting. And sometimes when I say this, people can get very offended. And they no, no, they say, no, no, no. I read a book by a man who is an expert in, in you choose the diet, intermittent fasting. And he said this and this and this. And so He's an expert, and so he knows what he's talking about. And I'm, I'm just going to challenge you on this one for a minute. I, I really want you to think about this. And I, I, don't, I, I don't like it when people are like, well, so-and-so, they're just stupid. They believe in keto and they're stupid. Well, they're not stupid. They could be a very ridiculously intelligent individual, very, very bright person. And there are incidences where keto can be used for health reasons. I, I'm not a big fan of it necessarily being taught as a magic pill for fat loss, but there are some things within the health industry where they it can be a tool for. But so to say somebody who does it is stupid, or my friend did keto and they're stupid and they're no, they're not. They they could be a, a quite an intelligent human being. But I do think that we should take a moment to really think about this: that we're all human beings and human nature is one of, we like to choose teams. And I don't know why we do this, but we like to choose a team and then we kind of cherry pick information and we we all to some degree suffer from a confirmation bias. So I do have a hard time though when women are like, well, I like you're wrong about intermittent fasting. It is special. It does offer this and this and this and this because I read a book by a man who is an expert in intermittent fasting and he did this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm not saying that he isn't an intelligent, bright individual. I'm saying that if we take a step back and look at this factually, and like this person has built their entire career and the money that's coming in is all based off of 
the idea that that intermittent fasting is special and that it's the key for fat loss and and nothing else works as well or is as special as this. Like, don't you think there's going to be a little bit of confirmation bias? I mean, right? Just a tad. (laughs) I'm sorry that there's just going to be, there's going to be cherry picking of information. And not because I think the person is bad, but I just think that there's going to be a lot of ego behind that. They've got to keep face of, I've got to keep proving no, that this is magical. Now, if we look at a meta-analysis that came out at the beginning of May, it was of this year. And a meta-analysis isn't just one piece of research. It's actually looking at a plethora and kind of pulling in the information. And it, it, it's kind of saying what, what we've all been saying for so long, intermittent fasting does not offer any significant health benefits for your body composition, appetite, inflammation level, or cardiometabolic health. So this is the new systemic review coming out once again. And, and the same types of things have come out about keto too. Like they, they work off of the same basis that they get you into a calorie deficit. And if you're not in a calorie deficit, you don't get any special body fat for loss for choosing that method. Once again, it, it, it just gets you into a calorie deficit. But you know, I like intermittent fasting and I will use it as a tool to help myself or with clients be a little bit more compliant. So I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that there's not a place for this. I just think that they're a tool that should be used wisely. Uh, I think a lot of times we suffer from thinking that correlation is causation. So I'll see this a lot with people who start a ketogenic diet and they initially they see a huge drop in weight and they immediately think, oh, it's all, it's all body fat because they don't really understand how the body works. And oh, it's all body fat. See, it works. It works so well. I've never seen this type of fat loss in any other diet. And if you've never done a low carb diet, you probably wouldn't have because what you're really seeing is a huge drop in water weight. So when we eat carbs, they bind with water and they make glycogen that's stored in our tissue. And so when we're not bringing in a lot of carbs, we're not going to have that water weight. And we are usually going to see that that quick drop in water weight. And then what happens with that individual after they've been doing this ketogenic diet for a while is then they kind of are like, they're out with their friends maybe one night and they're like, well, like I want to, here I am, here I am finding myself in this food environment where there are carbs. (laughs) So I just kind of want to eat normal like my friends do. I'm going to eat a carb meal and and then what happens is they quickly put on that water weight and they step on the scale and they're like, oh, see, I told you, carbs are evil. They did this to me. And then they go around telling this experience and then other people think that this correlation is this uh, instant regain in all this body fat and, and, they, and then they feel confirmed like, see, this is the only diet. And, and so there's a lot of misunderstanding And there's a lot of oversimplification too of just the way the body works. And just because insulin is portrayed as this, well, you spike insulin and instantly everything's pushed into body fat. And, and, and that's just not very, it's very oversimplification of the way that the body works. And that's just not reality. And so we do need to be careful of extremes. And I always say this, I always think extremes are easy. Balance is hard though, but balance is worth it. And it's worth it to seek out a balanced, healthy approach where we can still live and thrive in the environments that we're in, where we can have like a cookie or two a day and it's not going to make us feel guilty. It's not going to make us feel like we're going to you know, instantly put on fat because it's bad and it does this and it will spike my insulin and all of these things. And, and so finding that balance is really a wonderful place. And I do believe it's something that we really should seek out for. So we should really seek for this balance. So I just want to do a quick recap. Energy deficit is the most important thing to 
There is no diet that works under any other circumstances than a calorie or energy deficit. There just isn't. But also let people choose the diet approach that they want to. If somebody wants to do keto because it's easier for them, then let them do it. Dieting is already sucky enough. Be, be people's cheerleaders, okay? So a lot of times we think, oh, I need to set my friends straight. They need to. But do you know what? If they're already doing it, they're already bought in to some degree. They don't need you to set them straight unless they come to you and say, hey, what do you think about this? then technically they haven't stepped into your circle of influence. And if you do come at them saying, well, keto's stupid, well, what do you think that they're going to do? do? Do you think that they're going to feel like you're their cheerleader? Probably not. They're going to feel like, and then if they fail with it, do you think they're, they're going to run to you and be like, See, I failed? No, they're probably going to be like, well, she made me feel stupid for choosing this diet. I'm not going to go to her. But if you're their cheerleader and you're there helping them, and when they ask you questions, you open up with what you know, then they're going to want to come to you and ask you for information. So I think that that's really important that we learn to cheer people on and we don't belittle them. We don't even think those belittling thoughts because they'll be able to feel it. it it's, it's true. So energy balance, energy deficit is what's going to drive the fat loss. There's no special diet. It's just get into an energy deficit. There does need to be cognitive oversight on energy in and energy out. And I hope that that answered the question. If you're one of those that are like, yeah, I work out like five to six days a week. I work out so hard. Why aren't I losing weight? And I eat quote unquote healthy. Well, you can still eat at maintenance healthy. So we, so what that's showing us is that, that your mindfulness on the energy in and the energy out at first was good enough to bring a certain amount of results. But if you want to continue seeing more results, then we probably need more control over the energy in and the energy out, more mindfulness, more control to make sure that you're still in and stay in that energy deficit. So part two, we're going to dive into the application of all of this. Okay. I have a whole list of questions that I got from you guys on Instagram that I'm going to answer. I'm going to talk about like where to begin. If you are going to self-coach and try to move yourself through a fat loss phase, where do you begin? How long should you do this? Where should you start calories at? Where should you start cardio and training at? And then how long till you know you've hit a plateau where you need to lower calories more? We're going to dive into all of that in part two, but I really wanted to drive home in part one, the simplicity, but also the complexity of it and that there's no special diet. And now we are ready to step into, okay, so now mentally we're ready. Now we can know why we need to have more cognitive oversight and how we then do it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions, let me know. You can message me at Lifting Lindsay on Instagram, or if you have any questions about my coaching or my training app, you can go to liftinglindsay.com.